This is Communication Mixdown. Hello, I'm John Langer. Who would have foreseen that the last eight months would go quite like this? First, the disastrous bushfire season, followed directly by the COVID-19 pandemic. As our guest this week puts it, it's been Australia's double whammy. And if you add in the years of unrelenting drought, you essentially get a crisis trifecta. All throughout these trying times, and despite the hardship and struggle, the community radio sector has been playing an essential role in sustaining communities and providing a wealth of services and critical information. This week on Communication Mixdown, we find out how, where, and in what capacity all these initiatives have been rolled out. Holly Friedlander Lidicote is a project coordinator with the CBAA, the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia, and over this long eight months of turmoil and upheaval has been closely connected to various community radio crisis mobilizations. I spoke to her by phone recently. From where we sit right now in the midst of the global health crisis, the bushfire rampage over the summer in Australia might seem a long time ago. But I'd like to start our conversation and ask about the critical role that community radio played during that time. Yeah, of course. And it's definitely been a whirlwind start to the year, um, of course, with the beginning of the bushfires. And from about September through to obviously January, February, March, we had bushfires in the country and raging all across most of um, you know, Southeast Australia, we had about 80 community radio stations in fire affected regions. So, um, you obviously had stations doing intensive emergency broadcasting, you know, broadcasting 24 hours a day, um, seven days a week. Of course, a lot of the times, particularly in regional Australia, these are completely volunteer run stations. So nobody's getting paid to do this. Um, they're just doing it for the benefit of their community. So you've got these really intensive emergency broadcasting situations. You maybe have stations that aren't in the in the fire front per se, but um, you know maybe there's a fire in the in the nearby, and they might be getting their local um, emergency services um, person, the RFS here in New South Wales, for example, to come on and share information about the fire and where it's at. So maybe hourly interviews or something like this. And then you've got the stations that maybe are in the town over again, and they're raising funds for their local fire brigades or you know, um, opening up as drop-in centres for people to pop by. So really amazing things that these community broadcasting stations have been doing in this time. Yeah, you just mentioned a couple of things uh, there, and I just wanted to get a, a, a little bit of a, I suppose, a bit of a concrete sense of how the community radio set sector was operating during the bushfire crisis. We're down here in Melbourne, pretty far away from all of that. Could you give me a, a one particular station that stood out for you and, and how it worked with its community during the bushfires? Yeah, sure. And it's hard to pick 
just one, but maybe um, as an example, we've got Braidwood FM, which is out about 60 kilometres outside of Canberra. Um, again, a volunteer-run only station. Um, they had a huge fire in the national park nearby and luckily had upgraded their transmission range sort of six months prior, so we were able to reach people that were, um, you know, more remote on property, maybe don't even get the ABC. So really playing an integral role there. And they broadcast nonstop for about two weeks, I think it was. They managed to make some really strong connections with people in their community. I think Phil on the Hill was one of them and um, somebody in the Valley. And so they had these really strong connections with people in the community would call in and give information about the fire and where it was heading. And of course, their relationship with the Royal Royal Fire Brigade down there. Um, so those really close hyperlocal community connections mm. um, really helped provide them with the ability to service their community through the disaster. Well, you said uh, it's pretty hard to pick one particular station. Give us another example. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I am very, I, I am actually interested in in, in uh, finding out what happened and and uh, you know on the ground sort of things that that are going on. Give us a, another another example of how, how how things worked. Yeah, of course. So, um, so say maybe in Malakuta, which was obviously one of the intensive hot spots, as we know. Um, you know, they had one road in, one road out on the south coast and um, the ABC, for example, couldn't necessarily get reporters into those, those regions like that. But you had the volunteers, I think two really strong volunteers for the most part, as I understand it, broadcasting quite nonstop through the wow. hot spot in Malakuta. And um, the ABC ended up connecting with them so they could relay reports for the ABC as well. So not only servicing the people on the ground um, through the Malakuta Community Radio Station, but then providing that dispatch for the national service um, or the more bright, bright, broadly regional service, which I think is really interesting. And, you know, I don't know to what extent other stations do stuff like that, but that's maybe somewhere that the community radio sector could explore in the future. How can we partner better with our industry partners to make sure most people are serviced um, effectively with information. Now, my understanding also is that uh, the critical role of regional the regional community radio stations uh, didn't just end at the at the when the fires came under control. There were lots of follow up initiatives, community mobilizing and support. What's been going on in that context? And, and can you give a few examples of what's been going on? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I think as I briefly mentioned earlier, you know, we've got obviously a lot of great fundraising efforts. And I will just add that this isn't just due to the fires, you know, community radio stations, by their very nature, they're not for profits. They rely on their communities to donate to them or to provide them with support. But that obviously goes the other way around, right? And they're amazing bastions for fundraising efforts and connection and all these kinds of things. And, you know, one example, I love this story, um, Highland FM, which is a couple hours out of Sydney, um, over here in New South Wales, and um, they were, and this is sort of, you know, coming out of the back of the bushfires, they made, did some amazing fundraising for an event called Fire Aid, had some really big name musicians play, raised um, $20,000 or $100,000, I can't remember, but it was quite a lot of money for the mm. community down there, and then coming sort of into the COVID-19 pandemic, so they've got the double whammy in that region, and um and uh, the station manager is sort of walking out of the front door one night and the guy across the road at his Thai restaurant who's been in the community for 30 years, he's sitting there looking really forlorn because he's obviously lost so much business. 
and the station manager sort of has a chat to him, goes back to the station, writes up a community service announcement, promotes his business for free on air, saying get down there, support this guy who gave out free um, meals to our firefighters in the summer. And the next day he had our line around the block and um, had the busiest day that he'd ever had in 30 years. And so now they've started a support your local business campaign in the Southern Highlands. So, yeah, just stuff like that. It really pulls on the heartstrings, you know. Right, right. Is there any uh, any other inspiring stories that you've uh, you've come across? Because I know that you've put out a call for people to uh, to uh, respond to some of these things and get, get the information to you. You've got, um, again, maybe just prior to the fires, but someone like Star FM in Inverell in regional New South Wales, sort of in the Tamworth region, um, they part that you know very severely affected by droughts. So sort of leading into the bushfire season, and um, the station there partnered with uh, Kellogg's to deliver 65 pallets, I think, of cereal to the farmers that were affected in the region there. So again, just these really nice partnerships. Mm-hmm. Um, you really see sort of around different types of disasters, I guess, or Look, it's, it's very interesting that you're talking about all this because right now the ABC is in the process of having huge amounts of cuts to their funding. And it sounds to me like community radio particularly might, might actually end up having a much stronger role, particularly in regional communities, if the ABC ends up having to actually cut that many people uh, i heard it's going to be hundreds of people who potentially might lose their jobs uh the, and you did, did mention the fact that uh community radio could liaise with the abc in a more in a stronger kind of way yeah i mean it'll be interesting to see what happens i think like it's very important to recognize that while we have so many amazing community broadcasters doing amazing things to their local services that ABC is a very vital piece of infrastructure and communication network for these kinds of disasters. So I think community radio plays a really complementary role to ABC and, of course, commercial broadcasters as well when they do emergency broadcasting. Um, and I think the three industries, we're all very complementary to each other. Definitely maybe there's ability to grow. I think, you know, the Braidwood example, you know, they really learned there in Braidwood that they could do it and they could run a really tight emergency broadcasting ship. And I know they've had a lot of learnings from that experience and they feel confident they could do it again another fire season. But mm. some community radio stations maybe don't have the, the resources or um, to do something like that instead preferring to, you know, share information in a different way and do fundraising and things like this. But, yeah, it's an interesting time. I mean, I think the whole media landscape with, you know, the challenges faced um, by, I guess, divestment in in communications, whether that's, you know, commercial media through advertising. I mean, community radio experiences the same challenges. We don't have advertising per se, but we have sponsorship and, you know, our local small businesses are really struggling and so our stations mm, are struggling to get sure, funding in that way too. Sure, sure. You're listening to Project Coordinator with the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia, Holly Friedlander Lidicote, and she's talking about the important role taken up by community radio all through the bushfire emergency and the COVID-19 pandemic. Back with more after this. Throughout the month of June, 3CR is running a station appeal. We're asking you, the listener, to donate to keep the station going. 
3CR relies on the support of our listeners, but we know that many of you are doing it hard. So if you can't, we get it. But if you can, head to 3cr.org.au to make your tax-deductible donation to the 3CR Station Appeal. In April, the uh, CBAA, the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia, made a submission to what's widely been come to be known as the Bushfire Royal Commission. What prompted the CBAA to make a submission to that commission, the Royal Commission? Yeah, I think it's just really important for us to ensure that our station stories are heard by government and understood, you know, um, during the peak of the bushfires, we we called and spoke with our sort of 80 member stations in fire affected regions and really heard firsthand the challenges they experienced and have been able to do some research and, um, you know, see exactly where the situation is at at the moment. We went to Canberra in February to speak with politicians, um, particularly politicians in some of those fire affected regions, to make sure they understand their value of their community radio stations. Many of them do, which is great to hear. Mm. Um, but it, it's important for us, you know, we are a government-funded sector to some degree. Um, you know, some stations might get 90% of their funding from government, some maybe 10%. You know, it's a very diverse sector. But, um you know, at the end of the day, we only get about 20 mil for the entire sector, and that's 450 stations um, across the country. And so some more investment from government would really help our stations be able to continue to do their vital work in national disasters and in things like COVID, you know. So that's really important for us to make that case clear. When you went to Canberra and you did speak to the politicians, there was a recognition that uh, community radio was playing an important role. Yeah, definitely. And um, we we find, particularly in the regions, um, MPs and senators have very good relationships with their local stations because their local stations might be some of the only media in that region. Um, You know, Tumut in in New South Wales, um, Sounds of the Mountains, their amazing emergency broadcaster, um, you know, power dropped out, other services dropped out, and they were really known as the go-to service um, sort of in that mountainous region. And they have Michael McCormack on on air every week or every second week, I think, and have done for six or seven years. And so you have these really close connections with politicians, um, which is really good. And it's our role to, you know, show them. They know their local connections, but then make that connection on a wider scale and say, well, this is also what's happening um, across the country. I want to just go on a little bit with this submission that you made. One of the CBAA recommendations was that the Bushfire Royal Commission look at adapting the state of Victoria's emergency broadcasting model in relation to community radio and use it as part of a national approach. Tell me about this particular model of emergency broadcasting and why was it so so well regarded? Yeah, of course. So, um, you know, as I said, obviously there's some stations outside of Victoria that do amazing emergency broadcasting work, like Sounds in the Mountain and Tumut, for example. Um, and that's often because of years of years and years of relationship building with local emergency services and building of infrastructure and the ability to be able to, you know, do a broadcasting when the time is right. You know, it's not something you can just do last minute. There's a lot of prep that goes into it. Um, but in Victoria, out of the 
uh, um, the Black Saturday bushfires in 2009, there was a big review um, of the service, the sort of the, the relationship, I guess, between the emergency services broadcasters, whether commercial, ABC, SBS, or community, um, and obviously people getting the information that they need. And they um, really so almost like certified that relationship. So as a community broadcaster in Victoria, you can um, enter into a memorandum of understanding with Emergency Management Victoria in order to sort of be a, an official emergency broadcaster. And that means the community broadcaster, again, who might be a volunteer on station, 100% understands their um, requirements, their obligations, what they need to do. Um, but then equally, they have that connection with the state-based service to get the information that they need really, really quickly. And that's worked as quite a good model in Victoria. And as far as we understand, there's no formal relationships in the other states and territories between the state body um, and the community broadcasters. And by really solidifying those relationships, you can just make sure people get the information, um, community broadcasters understand their obligations, and they can then service their communities in the best possible way. And the idea would be that this would be, if it was adopted, it would be rolled out on a national scale. Yeah, I mean, this is always the hardest thing in our country, right? States and territories love to do the things their own way, which can be really good in some circumstances. And I think this crisis has shown a lot of challenges with the state-based systems. You know, I was reading the other day that if you're in the border regions, I can't remember if it was um, New South Wales, Victoria or Victoria, South Australia, but across the border, the different emergency services can't speak to each other because they use different types of radio communications. Like, that's crazy, you know, mm -hmm. if you're fighting a fire on the border. So I think, yeah, this um, Royal Commission is really highlighting some of those challenges. And I think now with the National Cabinet, with COVID, we're obviously seeing a lot more um, cohesion and working together. And so, yeah, you know, each state might do it differently. But if they can think about us and really integrate community broadcasting into the fold of disaster resilience, then I think that would be worthwhile. Now, I can't believe I'm going to be saying this, but I, what I want to say to you, and this is this is given the enormity enormity of these things in their own right, but let's leave the bushfires for a moment and head over to the coronavirus crisis. And it, it's been a really rough six months, uh, first with the summer bushfire crisis and then now the coronavirus crisis. What have been some of the major challenges for the community radio sector over the past few months during the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, I mean, it's been really interesting whirlwind. Um, you know, again, I think particularly people who have been in bushfire-affected regions to now be experiencing COVID must be such a double whammy. But in a space of about two or three weeks, obviously, like the rest of the country, where we hurtled towards lockdown, so did community radio stations. But obviously we need to remain operational and remain broadcasting. So it's been a really interesting transition from obviously a lot of volunteers going into stations broadcasting, um, you know, like a big metro station like 3CR, you know, might have a couple hundred volunteers going in and out every week, staff, things like that, in order to maintain broadcast operations. But now that's all more or less happening from home. I mean, you might have one broadcaster going in, being very hygienic in the studio, then you might have one broadcaster coming in after that and obviously doing a transition, or if you have two studios, you could do alternating studios. But, yeah, we sort of had this very um, 
intense period of like, how are we going to do this? <laughs> how are stations going to broadcast more remotely and safely and healthily and remain on air? Because, um, and thankfully, many, 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 if not all stations have remained on air throughout this time. Um, and we've heard so many phenomenal things from listeners, obviously being more at home, maybe listening to the radio more, feeling very connected in this period of isolation. So I think that's been really, really important. I mean, and the other challenge has been financial. I guess, as I alluded to earlier, we get a lot of, community radio stations get a lot of um, sponsorship, financial support from, you know, local businesses, big stations, maybe like 3CR or FBI Radio here in Sydney, you know, have huge connections with the arts and music industries. And that's obviously been hugely damaged by the COVID lockdown. So sponsorship revenue has dried up in a lot of cases. Um, but then unlike, you know, commercial media, we have a diversified revenue stream. So we rely on supporters and members like you listener. So please support your local community radio station. <laughs> yes, please. Um, <laughs> um, Give us a plug. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. And That's we're having right. our, exactly right. And we're, I should put this in right now. We're having our uh, station appeal right at this very moment. So uh, you're speaking, you're speaking exactly right on point at this, at this time. So thank you very much, Holly. That's okay. And so, yeah, we're, 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 we're a very strong sector, you know, we are ha having some challenges financially, but stations are very strong. They're very robust, you know, um, we're used to working on the smell of an oily rag and we have people power to support us. So I think because people are at home, they're listening to the radio more, they're really connecting. And while people are struggling themselves financially, I think they're finding that they're also reaching out to support their local radio stations, which has been a positive, I guess, in this challenging time. Now, during the height of the pandemic, uh, as I understand it, the CBAA was very proactive in helping the community stations navigate some of these strange and uncertain times, as you've just spoken about. What were some of the things that the CBAA was initiating that got positive feedback? Yeah, great question. I mean, we definitely kicked into overdrive to just, I think, first of all, because there was so much information coming out so quickly from not just the federal government, but then the states and territories. And, you know, we're a national member body. So working as quickly as possible with our contacts in the government and the department um, and in the states and territories to understand what is happening and what it means for our sector and then conveying that information as succinctly as hopefully as possibly to our members. So um, obviously that was via email, but we also set up a COVID-19 Facebook group um, just to post these updates regularly, which saw huge traction support. And then obviously community broadcasters in that group could share their own resources and technical infrastructure and ideas for moving remotely. So that, that was a really um, effective initiative. You were giving, you were giving advice, I think. I mean, I read, I read some of the stuff and you were giving advice about uh, how, how to keep the, the stations hygienic. And you were also giving advice. I think you ran a number of webinars on, how to how to do remote broadcasting and those sorts of things, which I thought was very. I actually watched one of them, and and it was very helpful, actually. Oh, excellent! I'm so glad to hear. Yeah, we normally do sort of monthly webinars, but I think we were doing one a week or even two a week at the peak, um, sharing yeah hygienic template for stations. Um, and the other thing, you know, I think the biggest thing for us is to try and figure out how to support our stations financially. So. Um, one thing that I'm I'm really quite proud of 
our organisation, we were able to pa partner with the Judith Nielsen Institute, um, who were, through our partnership, we were able to subsidise the national radio news service for member stations for six months. So um, that's a that's a news service that we deliver in partnership with Charles Sturt University in Bathurst, have done for 20 odd years. Um, and now more stations have been able to take the news and share it with their communities, which um, has been great to see news increasing to regions when it's been decreasing um, mm -hmm. in, other, in other industries. Um, so yeah, that's been a really nice little um, nugget we've done there. Look, uh, just finally, uh, the pandemic lockdown restrictions are starting to lift and we're getting back to something which some people are calling normalish, but uh, it's a normal kind of normalish kind of existence. Briefly, what would you be recommending the community radio stations be doing at this point? Yeah, I think um, ultimately the safety of staff and volunteers is paramount, you know, um, some of our community stations have more vulnerable volunteer bases and things like that. And so it's really an individual station decision about how they want to come back, how they want to return um, and to what means, whether that's fully back to normal or still a partial model or something like that. And we've got some resources about it returning to um, your community radio station sort of checklist about the things that you need to think about. So I just really can encourage stations to go through that process and think about what they need to do on their own basis. Call us if they need help and just keep broadcasting, keep connecting with your community. That was Holly Friedlander Lidicote. She's a project coordinator with the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. And she's been following the ways that community radio stations have been assisting communities around the country deal with the disastrous bushfire season and the pandemic health crisis. That's all from Communication Mixdown this week. The podcast of the show will be up shortly on the Communication Mixdown website. We're here again next week at 6 p.m. And as we've been discussing radio, let's go out with Nancy Griffith and her take on this medium of communication. The red alien guides my hands through the radio Where would I be in times like these without the songs Loretta wrote? Cause when you can't find a friend, you still got the radio When you can't find a friend, you still got the radio The radio, oh, listen to the radio The radio, Come on me. I got a double O eighteen a Martin guitar in the backseat of the car. Hey, I am leaving Mississippi with the radio on. Cause we can't find a friend, still got the radio. When you can't find a friend, still got the radio. The radio, oh, listen to the radio.
สมู